Hi, and welcome to the Willowridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Glad that you guys are here with us. If you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Ruth chapter 4. All right, this is where we're going to begin as we begin our series in the book of Ruth. Now, if you're wondering why we're beginning and we're going to the last chapter in Ruth, uh, we're going to do some things a little bit differently uh, this morning. Uh, this past uh, January, we started uh, our series in 1 Corinthians. And I don't know if y'all remember that day, it was like, we're going to have a 200% chance of, of deadly ice storms. And then it lightly rained that Sunday morning at like 45 degrees, all right? And we had made the decision ahead of time to go ahead and just uh, go through Zoom and, and Facebook Live and all the different things that we have and YouTube and just, just do worship from home that day. And so since we couldn't jump straight into 1 Corinthians that were attached to our, our small groups, I, I made the decision uh, that morning when I got up and, and doing my study to kind of give us just an introductory lesson into 1 Corinthians so that we all could have an understanding or, or, or groundwork of, of what we're studying in that letter. And, and, and I, what I heard back from everyone or that, that gave me feedback on it was how beneficial it was to, to kind of see and understand and that we can take those things and build from them and grow from them. And so as we were looking at starting into the book of Ruth, pretty much every spring, the beginning of the summer, I like to jump in and, and kind of walk through one of these shorter uh, Old Testament books with us to Together as a church, and as I was looking at doing that, I thought, you know, that might be beneficial for us to, to do that and to take a, a Sunday morning and just walk through that. And so that's what we're going to do today. Now, also on on the rows that you're seated on at the end of each one of them it is a card that's going to walk through each Sunday how we're walking through the Book of Ruth together uh, on Sunday mornings. And so I would just challenge you and, and encourage you to 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 take that and to to use that maybe build that into your to your weekly quiet time of reading that. I would also like to challenge you to, to take the opportunity, if this isn't something that you do, to maybe begin to work through and journal through that. Um, see what the Lord's teaching you. See what the Lord's drawing out of his word and how God is going to use that and, and bless that this morning. Now, what I want us to do today with, with Ruth is, is to give an overview of there's three different themes that are gonna flow through the book of Ruth. Now, I told you to open to Ruth chapter 4, and I promise at the very end of the message, we will get to Ruth 4, all right? And then, what? but what we're going to do, and if you, if you try to turn with me, you're not going to get there. Uh, Kevin um, upstairs, who runs everything that you see on the screens uh, this morning, he was like, man, I don't know that I've ever seen you have this many slides. I'm like, man, well, you better do the, your finger stretches this morning, right? Because you're going to be clicking through really quick on this. So if you, if, you try to, if you try to stay with me and turn with me, you're, you're not going to get there. So if you want to just jot those down, but I promise we'll get to Ruth 4 at the very end of this. Um, I, I read an author this week who, who said this, and it was a very interesting short line that caused me to think on it all week, and he said, Ruth is one of the greatest short stories ever written. And then he went into his commentary to explain why he believed that. And, and it caused me to pause to think 
that, that sometimes there's, there's groups of, of people who read some of these stories, particularly in the Old Testament. You have people who, who claim to be professing Christians who will read these stories in the Old Testament and they'll, they'll think that this was a made-up story that God gave someone to help teach us this moral lesson. And so I want to talk about that before we even get into the themes. And, and what I would like to say is that this is a beautiful short story that's written. But packed into these four short chapters is a beautiful story that is both historical and inspired. What we're going to read together over the course of, of really five weeks, if you include today, is a beautiful story that is both historical and inspired. And, and what I mean by that is this, the events that unfold in this story are true. There's not some author sitting down creating this story in their mind like one would write a, a sitcom or, or a movie or, or a book in, in a hope that it'll teach all of mankind or everyone who reads it a lesson. That we as Christians believe that this, on top of everything else that we read in Scripture, even if our mind, it, it seems like, and this couldn't possibly be true, but it is. And that we believe that just as you and I are sitting here today is a historically true event, right? that the events that we're going to read and that will unfold through the book of Ruth are historically true so that you and I, we can believe not just in a story, but we can believe in the events in the story and that they happened, all right? Now, the, the next part, it's historical, but it's also inspired. Now, the, the book of Ruth, we do not know who the author is. There are people who have thoughts and theories, but they are simply thoughts and theories. We do not know who the author is, but what we do know is that the person who wrote this, when they wrote it, was inspired by God to write this historical account. And so what you and I read is both something that happened and took place in, in the time of history, but was also in the miraculous nature how God would inspire individuals to record and to write these things onto pages so that later you and I could open God's word and study them together so that our hearts will be drawn closer to him. And that's what we find here. And that's what we read. So yes, the book of Ruth is historical. And yes, the book of Ruth is, is, is inspired as well. Now, whenever I go into one of these kind of some, some of the, 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 the books and the chapters in the Old Testament can give us like a, a character study to, that feel. And, and Ruth is definitely that. You're going to meet some, some characters throughout. We're going to look at some of their tendencies and their traits. We're going to look at the pieces about their lives, and we're going to study those, and we're going to talk about those. And, and our tendency when we do these things is to look at these characters and to make these individuals the, the main focus of the story, all right? Uh, and our tendency can be to do that with Ruth as well. I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of our tendency in a lot that we read. If we're not careful, we can read the story of David and Goliath and, and make the story of David and Goliath all about David. 
If we're not careful, we can read the story of of, of Moses and the Exodus and all that happened and all that took place, and we can walk away from that, and we can can make Moses the main story, the main focus of of the the story. Now, with Noah and the ark and and, and, and everything, and and the danger in that, right, and and we're going to look at these people, and we're going to look at their characteristics, and we're going to look at the things that they did, the, the, the main danger that I want us to kind of wrestle with in our hearts, the, the tension that we need to have is that at the end of the day, you and I can, can read about this. We can, we can read about the story of David and Goliath and walk away from it with, with a posture of our heart that says, well, I just want to be more like David. I just want to be more like David. We could, we could study Ruth and, and walk away from this and just say, well, I just want to be like Ruth. And then that will we'll miss and then that will fall short. And, and what I want us to, to, to get to before we get into our themes, and, and that'll, that'll be next as, as we go through this, and, and this is not just for the book of Ruth. This is for every book in God's word. This is for every event of your life. Is this, that God is the hero of the story. That God is the hero of the story. That when we read the Bible, that when we read Ruth and we see the details that are unfolding, it is the declaration of who God is and it's the declaration of what God is doing and and, and even the character traits that it reveals of the individuals in the story of what does it teach us about the character and the heart of God and how is it making us long to love him more? How is it stirring our hearts and our affections toward him more? And so that's what I want us to to be mindful of as we go through this is at the end of the day, we're not going to stand up here and sing songs to Ruth. We're not going to walk out of here and go, I want to be more like Ruth. We're not going to walk out of here and say, God, stir my heart for Ruth. But God, how can I proclaim who you are, right? How through your wonderful servant Ruth can you stir my affections for you? And and Lord, as I see in, in the lives of individuals like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and all that happens and all that takes place in their life, Lord, how can I understand that they are just like I am and that, Lord, what I need more of is not more of them and what I need more of is not more of me, but what I need more of is more of, more of you, right? And so that's going to be the heart as we, as we walk through this, all right? Now, there's going to be three major themes that, that, that go through here uh, that we're going to focus in on week in and week out. And so uh, this morning, um, uh, uh, Smokey and the Bandit, right? All right, y'all, y'all just bear with me as I chase this rabbit, okay? Smokey and the Bandit, there's that song, I got a long way to go and a short time to get there, right? That's this morning, okay? So these, these themes that we're going to have, that we're going to go through, by no means are we going to unpack all of that this morning and the richness and the goodness of God's Word in, in understanding these. But, but what it'll do is it'll begin to, 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 to work our, our, our palate into what God's going to have for us to taste in weeks to come, all right? And so as we, as we go through, as we talk about these, it'll help us build week in and week out of, of what God has for us and what God is, is going to teach us. And so three different themes that we're going to look at. And, and the first one is this, uh, the providence of God. All throughout Scripture and a primary focus of Ruth is going to be on the providence of God. And what I want us to understand, kind of a simplified definition of the providence of God is this, is that God is in control of all things and that he is sovereignly in control. And, and what this doctrine is going to stand against 
is the idea that the events of this universe, the events of this world, and the events of your life and my life happen by chance or fate. And that's not how God works, and that's not what God is doing. And instead, what we're gonna find through the providence of God is that God uses divine providence to accomplish his will and to ensure his purposes are fulfilled. So that as we read through and as we begin in chapter one here next week and we see the devastation and we see the pain and then we see the suffering, that in the midst of that, God's still in control. God didn't say, nope, I'm done, I'm out, hands turned loose. That God is working and that God is moving and at every single point in this, there's a greater thing that is playing out, a greater purpose that is playing out and we have the beauty of being able to see that and, and, and to go with that, all right? And that is not just true in the life of Ruth, but that's true for us. It's true in our life. My, my, my favorite verse, I, I feel like I quote this verse almost every week, right? Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that for those who love God, say those next two words with me, all things, all right? All things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. Not some, but all. That in the events of your life, as joy-filled as they can be and as painful as they can be, as confident as you can be in walking in some and in others where you feel like you're lost and wandering aimlessly. In those, we know that God in all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. And for us as believers, this brings so much hope to us. Because this means that every bit of struggle, every bit of pain, every bit of suffering is not wasted, that God is using that for a greater good, that you and I oftentimes can't see, can't understand, can't comprehend, but God's working in it, and we just got to trust him through it. There's a question that comes up with the providence of God, and it's this, the, 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 the the battle that seems to exist between divine providence and human sin. And the question that, is, that, that arises is this, is how can humans choose to sin, but God still be in complete control? That's a legitimate question. If God's in control, and yet we see, we live in, we experience, and even though we're saved, you and I oftentimes still choose sin. How can that, these two things that seem to be at war and at contradiction with one another still exist to be true? And here's what I just say. That in this tension that we live in of the divine providence of God and the human sin that we see, that we still have to understand that God hates sin and God will judge sinners. Got to understand that God is not the author of sin, Scripture tells us, nor does he tempt anyone to sin. And in what we can't understand, because our minds, mine, yours, all of us, is limited to the perspective of this world, God hates sin but allows a certain measure. And I don't know why. I can't look at every event and line these up and say that in my brain, this makes sense, this makes sense, this makes sense. 
but it's what we see and it's what we trust and it's what we, what we know. And what God does graciously throughout Scripture is he reminds us the beauty of how he works and the beauty of what he does even in the midst of humanity who tries to come in and mess it all up. I want to kind of tell you the story of, of, of two <laughs> the stories in Scripture that you're going to have heard and, and hopefully that you know. One is the story of Joseph that begins in Genesis chapter 37. Now, I'm, I'm way going to shriek the whole, like, numerous chapters down into a, a couple of sentences, all right? The, the story of, of Joseph, God allowed Joseph's brothers to kidnap him, sell him into slavery, and lie to their father about it. That's, that's, that's a really short summation of what happens. God allows that to happen because God had a different plan. And in that, Joseph ended up in Egypt. And we're not even going to get into all the struggles that he faced in Egypt. But God gets him in Egypt, and he became a prime minister. He used his position within the government to sustain the people through a seven-year famine. Get this, even his own family benefit from it. And in the midst of the unfolding of this story, when Joseph stands in this moment before his family, there are two verses I want to read to you. Genesis 45, verse 5. Joseph says this, And now uh, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life, is what Joseph said. Look at chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And this is what we see in the life of Joseph. This is what we see in how God works. This is what we see in God moving. And what God does is God say, hey, man intends it for this, but watch what I'm going to do. Who could do this? No one else but God. Only God could take these events and turn them and say, but man, watch how I'm still in control. Watch how I'm still in control. The other one, what we just looked at next week, or last week, I'm sorry, last week, the crucifixion of Jesus. Right? Sinfully betrayed by Judas. Deserted by most of his followers. His own words spoken to him and not believed. Innocently murdered on a cross, but for a purpose. For a purpose. Luke twenty two twenty two says this. Jesus' own words. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Right? It was what we see, the, the truth of this. The consequence of sin and the determined plan of God. And what we see unfold in this. And what you'll see throughout the story of Ruth is the divine providence of God continually working and moving in the events of life from tragedy to everyday encounters. 
And, and as I was thinking through this this week, and as I was praying through this this week, it just reminded me that in every moment of my life, and in every moment of your life, we can trust and know that God is in control and that God is working. No matter the news of devastation that you get, or no matter the news of hope that you get, on either spectrum of life and everywhere in between, God is in control and God is working. And here's what we do in that. Here's what we do in this wide scope of life. We trust, we obey. We trust and we obey. And what I found in that is that when we trust and when we obey and when we go where he calls us to go and do with what he calls us to do, it's so much more peaceful to live in that wide gap of life. It's not always easy. It's not even, it's, it's not even always fun. But we can find the peace and joy of God in that when we trust him and we obey him. Another theme that's going to come up in, in, in the relationships between people and that we're going to see in the relationships between them and God is, is also the, the concept of covenants, right? So a, a covenant is, is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make a binding promise to each other and, and work together for a common goal. And as you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, Right? We think you know, Old Testament is, is, is all the covenants, but as we read through Old Testament and New Testament, as we read through that, what we're going to see is that God is a covenant-making God. This is what he does. This is, this is who he is. Right? At least 280 times in the Old Testament, the word for covenant is used. And maybe that's why we associate it uh, so much with the Old Testament, because we, we do hear it more. But at least 33 times in the New Testament, the word for covenant is used as well. And it not necessarily in correlation with Old Testament covenant and explaining that. And so we see that all throughout Scripture, it's, it's a concept that continues to unfold of who God is. In fact, the word testament that we get for our Bibles, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is where we get the word covenant from. So that when you open it up, you're looking at the old covenant, you're looking at the new covenant. And what we see is that God is a covenant-making God. Now I wanted to prove that to you, and not by going through every covenant that is in Scripture, but I wanted to just draw out really quickly, or as quickly as I can this morning, several of the covenants that I think will point us to a great understanding of what's going to happen and take place in, in Ruth and who God is and what God is doing. Uh, the first covenant that I want to talk about this morning is the Noahic covenant, which is found in Genesis 9. And I'm going to read verses, starting verse 18. And then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I will establish my covenant with you and with your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. 
I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. And so what God does in this is because of his faithfulness to always do what he says we will do, we will know that with all certainty there will never be another worldwide flood as there was in the days of Noah, no matter how wicked man becomes. God says, this is on me in my faithfulness with who I am, right? The world is still wicked. Man is still wicked, but God has made this promise. And so he even gives us a sign to remind us of that, that when we see the rainbow after the storm, right, it is not reminding us of how good we are. It's not even reminding us of how beautiful the world is. It is reminding us how beautiful God is as the hero of the story. But God also in Genesis will give the Abrahamic covenant. Now, this is on several different passages in Genesis. I'm going to read the first and then speak to several others in Genesis 17, 7 through 8. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offsprings after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be, to, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so we see this relational aspect that is developed here. And as God continues on in his covenant with Abraham, God makes the promise that that these people will be a great nation and that Abraham will be the father of these nations and that from this nation, that this nation will be and from this nation will be a great promise and from that will come redemption for the people. Beginning to point and continuing to tell the journey and the story of pointing to Jesus. And so God continually makes covenants. And God continually fulfills what God said he would do. We can continue on the Mosaic Covenant in Exodus 19. God says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together, and all, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said uh, to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Right? And so we get this Mosaic covenant, this, this covenant made between God 
God and the nation of Israel of Mount Sinai, right? And that this will be centered around God giving his divine law to Moses and then Moses to the people so that they'll understand what it means to follow him. They'll understand what it means to honor him. They'll understand what it means to glorify him. And so what we see in this is not just God saying what he's going to do, but God also commanding them of what they're to do in response of the covenant. And then one that's going to be really big for what we see is the Davidic covenant. In 2 Samuel seven sixteen. It says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. An unconditional covenant made between God and David, through which God promises David and Israel that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come from the lineage of David, the tribe of Judah, and would establish a kingdom that would last forever but last forever. That David would, would live his life and rule here on earth and die. And the lineage would continue on. But that Christ would come and he would reign and he would establish his kingdom and this kingdom would continue on. And this kingdom would be one that wouldn't go away. And for you and I who are a part, for you and I who are saved, the kingdom we're a part of. Which brings us to the New Testament, to the New Covenant. And Jesus, the night of the Last Supper, we, what we talk about of what we take in Matthew 26. says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing broke it and gave it to the disciples. And said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and we give him thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Right? The new covenant, the promise that God makes with humanity that he forgives the sin and restores the fellowship with those whose hearts are torn toward him. And Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and his death on the cross is the basis for this promise. And this is who God is. And this is what God is working in. And this is what God is doing. So you and I are in a covenant relationship with the Lord, not because of our behavior, not because of we go to church, not because of how many good things we feel like we can do, but we've been brought into the relationship with, with, with God through the new covenant, through the blood of Christ. And that's why it's through Christ and Christ alone. And what we see in, in covenants and what God wants to show us in, in covenants is God's faithfulness to his people and, and their reminder to be faithful to him because of who he is, because of what he's done, and because of what he promises to do. And so that when we look at, when we look at covenants, it's more than an arrangement. It's more than an agreement even. It's, more, it's, it's deeper than that. It's not based in who I am. It's not based in who you are, but it's based in the very character nature and nature of God. 
And the last theme that we're going to talk about this morning is the theme of redemption. And this is going to be big throughout Ruth. And the word redeem in a biblical historical account means, means to buy out. It was commonly associated with indentured servants or slaves, that there was a debt that was owed that needed to be paid, and who would step in and pay this debt and redeem this individual. And we'll talk about a lot more of this throughout the book of Ruth, but what we're going to see in Ruth is this concept of the kinsman redeemer. And the concept of kinsman redeemer, it, it probably isn't something that we talked a lot about in, in, in church, that, we're not, uh, that we haven't heard a lot or, or experienced a lot. But the kinsman redeemer is a male relative who, according to the laws of the Pentateuch, had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, in danger, or in need. And this was given in, in Leviticus as the standard. And in Leviticus 25, 25, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. The Hebrew term for kinsman redeemer designates a person who delivers, who rescues, or who redeems a property, but also a person. A person. And in the story of Ruth, this will be Boaz. But for us, it's Jesus. And this is how we're going to see the telling of the gospel unfold. I don't know if you know this or not. And if you don't know this, and I hope that every single one of you do. But if you don't know this, if you're lost in your trespasses and sins, the Bible says that you need to be redeemed. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Where we find ourselves is we are either former sinners who have been redeemed and made new by the blood of the Lamb or we're sinners who need to be redeemed and delivered and rescued for our sin. Because there's a debt that we can't pay. There's a debt that we owe. And you and I, no matter how hard we work, no matter what we try to save up for, we can't do that. And so what we celebrated last week, what we proclaim every Sunday, what we live for in every moment of our life is so because of this debt, because of your debt and your debt and your debt and my debt, God sent Jesus. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, everyone who's cursed, or cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus in his own words says in Matthew 20.28, 20, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So God sent Jesus who redeemed us by dying for us. The death we deserved, he died for. And it's the story of the scripture. Because you see, I can never be the hero of the story. Because I can't save myself. 
I can never be the hero of the story because I can't save you. I can never be the hero of the story because I can't get it all right. I can never be the hero of the story because of the sin that I choose in my life. But Jesus never chose sin. Jesus walked in holiness, in perfection, and it's who he is. And that's why in every single moment, in every single piece, he's the hero of the story. It doesn't mean that there's not men and women in my life who didn't pour out the grace of the gospel to me, but it's the story of Jesus who saved me and who made me new. And so he's the hero of the story. And so I told you we'd get there. Look down at Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they called him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse and the father of David. The line of Jesus. And you don't have to turn there, but today go read Matthew chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first verse the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What God said he would do. Because he is faithful. As we read through the story of Ruth together, I pray that we celebrate as we see all that God has done. And I pray that we long for and to see more of what God is doing. As we read through and study the story of Ruth together, my prayer for you and the prayer for me is that in the midst of our uncertainty, in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggle, we will trust his plan even if we don't know it. Even if we don't know it. And that we'll know that he's in control. My, my prayer for you and I is that because God is a covenant-making God who holds his word and fulfills what he says every time that you and I will lean in more and trust on his promises more. And that what we'll see throughout the book of Ruth of what God is doing is laying out the salvation of the world his plan to save his sons and daughters. I hope that it's not just the introduction, but that in a time and a period where there's lots of things that want to pull us different ways, 
that we can make the choice to be here, to journey through, to open up, and to read this historically inspired account about Ruth that tells the story of our God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning thanking you and praising you for who you are, Lord, and for all that you've done. Lord, we thank you that what you're doing in the life of Ruth, what you did in the life of, life of Ruth, what you're doing in our life, you're taking us through events and circumstances to build our trust and to, in you and to show your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that as we walk through these, we will choose to obey choose to trust, that we will remove ourselves from what we feel and, Lord, and instead respond to who you are, Lord, and what you're doing and what you're teaching us and what you're showing us. Lord, I thank you that in the sovereignty of your plan, every tear matters. Every moment is a lesson for us that you're using it all, not just some, not just parts, not just the good, not just the bad, but all of it, all of it, to draw us to you and to declare your name. God, thank you for being a God who is in control. Thank you for being a covenant God who we can trust. And thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, to be resurrected again, so that we may find forgiveness. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.